0: Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done already today. We love you, Jesus. And Lord, my prayer, even in the prayer room this morning that I just drove up to to the building with this morning, was just make me more aware of you. I ask you right now in every heart in the room, for every person watching online, that you would make us more aware of your presence Make us more aware of what you're doing, Lord. We thank you, God, that we get an opportunity this morning not to just hear words, but to step into more of what your heart is for us. And so this morning, we just as one body, we just say that we love you. We love you, Jesus. We're not here for a message, we're here to encounter the living God, the one who's still speaking. The one who as we already said his blood speaks a better word so Lord we love you in Jesus name amen everyone said Amen. amen hey real 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 quick um get out and vote okay um I feel like not a whole lot of people are saying that right now I don't know does anybody else feel that way kind of like this election's kind of flying under the radar and so let's as believers not let it fly under our radar okay um Sometimes we get lost in, like, the bigger elections, and we actually don't vote in the local elections, which actually is in some ways more important. So um, early voting ends Tuesday. Vote for biblical values. Get out there and use your voice. It matters. Amen. Amen. Come on. We can't just say it in here and not do it out there. Let's go make a difference. All right. John 8, if you have your Bible. That's right, Jason. Jason says you better have your Bible. And if you're like me, I love the pages. I know we got a lot of phones, and that's great. It's awesome to be able to just click a button and change the, the translation. Um, but there's nothing like pages. So, anyway, John chapter 8. We're going to talk about the adulterous woman the title of my message this morning is the spirit of accusation spirit of accusation all right john chapter 8 but jesus went to the mount of olives early in the morning verse 2 he came again into the temple And all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. Verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? Verse 6. They were saying this to test him, of course, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger, he wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up, and he said, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, verse 9, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, I love that it says the details, straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more this is a powerful passage of scripture it's powerful and i just want to stop a minute and i want to this there's so much packed into this we could spend all morning just unpacking this one passage and i love that about the bible sometimes it's hard to get past one verse (laughs) and when i look at this when i when i illustrate this There's a group, so Jesus is coming in, he's teaching, and there's a crowd. And I picture, you know this moment, there wasn't social media back then. So it's like word of mouth, and Jesus comes in, and all of a sudden, people are just beginning to come. Probably all the time. And they're coming down, and they're sitting down, because back then, they didn't necessarily sit in chairs, they sat on the ground. And they're sitting down in the center of the temple. And you can picture Jesus probably somewhere in the center, And all these people surrounding him, okay? And he's teaching. It's like, okay, this is a good moment. All of a sudden, the scribes and the Pharisees break through the crowd. And listen, it wasn't just enough to stand at the back of the crowd. They had to be at the center of attention. The religious spirit always tries to be at the center of attention. So here they come bringing a woman caught in the very act. This wasn't just like a, oh yeah, we think this is happening. She was caught in the very act of adultery. They bring her into the center of the crowd and they begin to confront Jesus, not with the intention of this being like a good, like Lord, is this really something we should do? No, they're looking to accuse him and they want him to accuse her. And if he's not, they're like, we're going to accuse him. So you can see accusations all over this. And what does Jesus do? Probably not what most of us in this room would have done. Right? Most of us probably would have pointed fingers. And you can imagine the crowd as the Pharisees are saying this. I'd imagine a few of them might have already picked up a stone. Right? It's the law of Moses. And Jesus says, stop. He who is without sin, go ahead, throw that stone. And you can kind of picture this moment. They're probably all like, hmm, gosh, I can't do it. Everybody clears. And Jesus, the only one one who is without sin, the blameless one, the spotless lamb of God, was the only one who was able to stand in that moment. And he's like, where are your accusers? Where are they? She says, they're not here. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no This is sending a powerful message, and I want you to see the scribes and Pharisees represent three things, okay? The scribes and Pharisees in this passage represent religion, they represent the law, and they represent, represent the spirit of accusation. And I could picture this moment, too, if we remember the words of Jesus, how many know the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Most people would say it's one of the, probably the greatest sermon ever preached. Amazing sermon. And in Matthew 7, verse 3, what is it that Jesus says? He says, you better look at the log that's in your eye before you start casting stones on someone else. That's the Andrew Paraphrase version. You get the picture, Okay. The real version is this. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And so Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees, are operating in the spirit of accusation. And I want you to see this. is very important this morning. The spirit of accusation always desires to produce condemnation. That's the result. It's not enough just to say, oh, this person did it. The goal is judgment and condemnation that's the goal of accusation the spirit of accusation isn't enough just to just to notice something it always has the intention of producing condemnation okay so what i want you to see here is jesus doesn't give room for the spirit of accusation he doesn't allow it in the room And so the fingers go from pointing at her to pointing at themselves. They're like, oh man, I got to walk out. His message was this. Condemnation and accusation are not allowed to speak. Instead, what is allowed is the mercy, forgiveness, kindness, compassion, and truth of God. And this is really, really important, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, but I want to make something really clear here. Jesus preached truth in love here. Okay, many times we can gloss over that, but he says go and sin no more. So what's the point? The point is that what she did wasn't okay. And Jesus isn't necessarily excusing it. What he's doing is he's saying there's a better way than condemnation. And the better way is repentance and she knew in that moment i guarantee you this woman man she knew i need to change (laughs) and so what does he say he says go and sin no more he is saying this isn't the way go and sin no more he speaks truth but what he doesn't do is he doesn't speak truth with the intention of bringing condemnation, he brings truth that then allows a moment of repentance and actually begins to reveal freedom and breakthrough. And there's a massive difference. This is why we're talking about the spirit of accusation. The spirit of accusation has zero intention of bringing reconciliation. The spirit of accusation does not want restoration. The spirit of accusation doesn't want you to go and sin no more. The spirit of accusation wants you to sit in your condemnation, stay accused, stay in shame, stay bogged down in your mind so that you actually don't just feel accused, you accuse others. Oh man, we're preaching this morning. And listen, what is the spirit of accusation? We all know this verse. We could quote it. It's probably on our refrigerators and that's a good thing. Ephesians 6.12, right? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. What's the point? The point is that it can be easy to look at what's happening in the natural instead of realizing that we live in a spiritual battle. And as believers... We bring the kingdom of God. We have the Holy Spirit within us. What does that mean? It means that we're not powerless. We have power. You have power and authority not just to skate by, but to actually take authority and dominion and possess this reality for the Lord. That's the reality of what we have. All right, Revelation 12.10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. So this verse is speaking of the ultimate and final destruction of the enemy when Jesus returns. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that. Amen. Jesus is returning he's coming back. I love that song, getting ready, getting ready for you. I'm ready. I'm I'm excited. I'm ready, but I'm not going to sit by and just let things happen. I'm going to pursue and go after the gospel. Okay, so in this moment, this is the ultimate return, but I want you to see something here. It says, accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who accuses them, And so the key here is that the name accuser is used. And actually, when you look at the name Satan in the Hebrew, so when it first shows up in the Old Testament in the Hebrew, it means this, adversary or accuser. Why is that important? Nikki just spent time talking to us about identity and names. What's important here is that the enemy doesn't just accuse, he is accusation. It's not just something he does. It's the only way he knows to go. It literally is his identity. He is your adversary, and he is the one who desires to bring accusation. And so we have to keep in mind, the enemy is constantly seeking to destroy. The enemy has no intention of bringing life. This is why it's the spirit of accusation. Because he desires, what what does Jesus say in John 10? I desired that I may have life abundantly. Contrasted with what? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, so this is two kingdoms, two different realities. And this is why this is important when we look at accusation, is because accusation, anything that has the intention of destroying is over here, okay? It's not of the Lord. And so the spirit of accusation comes from one source, and that's Satan. Any form of accusation that leads to condemnation is of the enemy. All right, so two ways that the enemy uses accusation. This is where I really want to spend the most time. The number one way that the enemy uses accusation is by bringing accusation against you. His plan is to get you to believe the accusation that he brings against you rather than the vindication or justification that comes from God. Amen. The, way number two, though. The second way he uses accusation is he wants to get you to partner with him in bringing accusation. And this one, I think, is when things get real dangerous, potentially, because I see believers that are stuck in this. I see the church that gets stuck in this. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can actually partner with the spirit of accusation and bring accusation against others with zero intention of life, but actually partnering with what the enemy wants to do instead of what God's doing, okay? All right, so point one, accusation against others. I wanna wanna start with, talking about accusation that we bring against others. So here's the thing about accusation. Accusation can be contagious. What happened, right? Accusation wants to command a crowd. The religious spirit wants to command a crowd. Why? It wants attention. Look at me! And what accusation does is instead of look at me sometimes, it's look at what this person did how terrible it is look at him but not with the intention of bringing restoration with the intention of saying let's crucify them what did they say crucify him it's accusation if we feel accused part of what the enemy wants to do is for us to go and accuse someone else and so john 8 this 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 passage reminds me a lot of what cancel culture looks like. Cancel culture's intention is to cancel someone with zero intention of actually helping them. Cancel culture, there's no life in cancel culture, only death. Only death. It doesn't matter if we're heralding the cancel culture under the guise of justice and righteousness if we're not careful we can still condemn. Oh man. I don't know if you guys are hearing me. <laughs> What's the reality of the gospel, guys? I should have been canceled. I should I should have been condemned. We should all. But what does Romans 8, 1 say? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. So the gospel is that we should all be canceled. But Jesus. But Jesus. And so who are we to cancel or condemn anyone? We should be condemned but Jesus. So this is where this cancel culture thing seeps in and it tries to command a crowd and it tries to bring condemnation when really we should just be saying, but Jesus. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? That's Romans 3.23. So before we decide to cancel someone else or bring accusation, We should consider the fact that it is only by the grace, mercy, kindness, and love of God that we can approach him. Our culture is addicted, though. It's this addiction to finding someone to blame. We love to find someone to blame. It's the government's fault. It's the education system's fault. It's that person's fault. It's that church over there. We like to have somebody that we can sit, and we could put them in the seat of blame. We just like to do it. Just kind of like, like a cultural thing. And one of the greatest weapons that I've seen that I really want to caution us against this morning, used by Christians against Christians, has been accusation. I've seen it with pastors accusing other pastors Guys, listen to me really, 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 really carefully. The goal is never to bring disunity. The goal is never to accuse so that we're creating this disunifying thing. That is not the heart of God. The heart of God is to bring reconciliation. The heart of God is to bring love, mercy, kindness. I'm not saying not to speak truth, but we gotta be really, really careful with this accusation thing. And I've seen well-meaning people accuse other people and I actually think it's leading to the body of Christ being more disunified than ever in some ways the spirit that seeks to bring condemnation is never from God it is always from the enemy and it will always produce and foster death not life the truth is we all deserve it but Jesus now I'm not talking about glossing over evil i'm not saying let's not let's not hate evil but cling to what is good okay that's romans 12 i'm not saying that i'm not saying not to speak the truth but listen this is really important the manner in which we go about it matters the way that you do it matters so partnering with the spirit of accusation is not the way to combat evil can you imagine the woman caught in adultery today just think about this in modern day culture okay Back then, the town square was people in the city, in this case, the temple. But one of the town squares today is social media. It's the town square. And it's a whole lot easier for me to stand here on a Sunday and just tweet something than it is for me to look you in the eye and actually talk to you about it. And so there's a difference between speaking the truth in love and accusation. Listen to this. Accusation is all, the spirit of accusation is always destructive. Truth in the context of love is always constructive. Accusation brings shame. Truth brings freedom. Accusation never values the individual. Accusation never invites a conversation. Accusation is contagious and seeks to get as many other people to agree with it as possible. Accusation seeks to destroy. Listen to this. The the accusing spirit will always point to the problem while never offering a solution. Oh. While the Holy Spirit in truth and love can reveal a problem but then always point to the solution. The spirit of accusation wants to create division. It wants to divide while the spirit of truth wants to unify and bring repentance and transformation. Do you see the difference here? So what is truth? Truth is Jesus. He is truth. His word is truth. So the goal isn't to bring accusation but to invite people into the truth found in Jesus and his word. This still looks like standing for truth. It still looks like standing for righteousness. It still looks like standing for justice. But the way that we do it matters. If we're going to do it and throw a whole bunch of people under the bus and condemn them, that is not the heart of God. I don't care if you're doing it under the flag of something that looks good. I think sometimes we wave a flag that looks good. We're like, yeah, this is righteousness, but really what's happening is, is the accusing spirit is using that to actually bring death, when instead we can wave that flag with the truth in the context of love, with the heart like Galatians 6.1, to restore one, to bring restoration, reconciliation, and we can still herald righteousness just doing it through the context of truth in love. And the, that intention of your heart matters they were ready to throw stones they were ready I already said this but I want to say it again the accusing spirit will always point to the problem while the Holy Spirit will always point you to the solution So we need to be really careful about not partnering with the spirit of accusation against others. Really, really careful about this. All right, now I want to do point number two is accusation against you. So we've already talked about bringing accusation against others, but the root sometimes of us operating in the spirit of accusation against others is because we actually are under the spirit of accusation ourselves. We feel accused. The enemy's plan, listen, I think sometimes we, we way overcomplicate the enemy's plan. Amen? We make him some creative genius. Like, wow, man, look at all the schemes of the enemy. The enemy's plan is super simple. Death, destruction, and trying to get you isolated, trying to get you, like, it's, it's pretty simple, really. But yet... It's also not as simple and easy when we're under the weight of it, yeah? Because we can feel like there's no way out. And so this is what the accuser tries to say. And I think one of the most difficult battles that we fight is the battle in our own mind. This is why we talk a lot about we have the mind of Christ, about renewing our mind. Because a large portion of the battle that we fight is actually here. It's in our mind. It's not even real half the time. It's just that we think it's real. And many times, and I don't know why I'm going to say this now. Maybe this is for someone in the room. Many times when we're dealing with an addiction, the enemy's number one ploy is to get you so focused on it in your mind that you actually feel powerless. And the Holy Spirit, this is one of the big things. When I, was, when I was going through my battle with pornography, one of the biggest things the Lord told me is he was like, hey, do you realize you actually have power? I was like, no, I don't feel powerful. He was like, you have power to say no. You don't feel it because the enemy has you under the weight of accusation. He has you under the weight of shame and condemnation. But the reality is that you can actually stand up to that giant like David did, and sling a stone at it and say, I am not going to sit under the weight of addiction any longer. I'm not going to be accused. I'm not going to operate in shame. I'm not condemned because, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I have authority, and the enemy wants you to say, I don't have authority. And the more that he can get you to think that, the more you're going to feel under the weight of it. So this is what the voice of the accuser sounds like you aren't worth it you are too far gone for god to help you look at what you just did you don't deserve to be here you can't be righteous your mistakes are bigger than your future your failures are too great you won't find someone who loves you because you aren't lovable due to your issues and past mistakes this is who you will be for the rest of your life the weight of that in the room that's what the voice of the accuser sounds like i'm not saying this to put like a heaviness in the room i'm saying this because one of the biggest reasons i'm preaching this message this morning is so you can identify it any voice in your mind in your head that says any of these things is the voice of the spirit of accusation not god There is not an ounce of that that is true. And so I I wanted to say that. I, I know that that feels a lot, but I wanna reveal. Listen, one of the biggest battles is just revealing the schemes of the enemy. Let's just peel back the curtain right now of the spirit of darkness and say, hey, this is what you're gonna try to do, and this morning we're gonna slay that thing, right? I can bet that that woman dragged into the center of the place of the temple in John 8 probably had all of these thoughts going through her mind. I'm not worth it. What I just did is bigger than my future. I can't can't move on from this. Maybe she even thought to herself, I deserve to die. Because of what I've done, I I, I deserve to get stoned. Jesus is like no you don't you deserve to walk in life so what did Jesus do he did these things he silenced the voice of accusation that's really important you have the power and authority to silence that thing what did he do he silenced him he said he who is without sin cast the first stone what happened everybody gets out of the room everybody flees the temple You can imagine this moment. It probably went from loud to silent. It's Jesus and it's the woman. He silenced. What else did he do? He revealed that the voices speaking accusation were not in alignment with how God views us. What's the last thing he did? He released freedom through forgiveness, mercy, and truth in love. We are always hardest on ourselves. I know I am. I'll be the first person to raise my hand on this one. I'm real hard on myself. One of the ways accusation impacts us is that if we're not careful, act, the spirit of accusation can frame the way we see ourselves, which will then impact the way we see others. And I think this is important that I wanted to mention this too, because I think One of the things that the enemy wants to do with accusation that, again, produces condemnation is he actually wants you to shut yourself off. Right? Become so introspective. Look at all my stuff. That's what he wants to do. He says, hey, look at all your stuff. And you become so introspective, you actually close yourself off To others, but not just others, you actually can close yourself off to God. And that's the enemy's ultimate intention. If he can pull you away, if he can isolate you, if he can allow the accusation to so get in your mind and in your head that he's actually pulling you away and he's saying it's actually better if you just don't hang out with anyone. It's actually better if you don't go to church. It's actually better if you don't go to table group. It's actually better if you just pull back from everybody and kind of handle this on your own and kind of try to get freedom on your own, you know, and not bring anybody else into it. You ever heard that before? That's not, that is not the truth. That's accusation. That's condemnation. That's shame. Shame always gets you to try to be so in yourself that you don't want anyone else to see because you're afraid of what they might think or all of these different things, when the reality is that you need to get it into the light so there can be freedom and wholeness. Okay, so accusation can make you close yourself off to God and others. And I think sometimes part of this feeling is the enemy tries to make you feel trapped. This woman would have felt trapped. Everybody is around her. Everybody's making a scene. I'd imagine she probably felt so trapped and we feel trapped, so we isolate ourselves. So here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to buy what he's selling. And unfortunately, a lot of times we do buy it, and we buy it at bargain prices. Meaning what? Meaning we buy into it even at a, even at a low level. We can, it can seep in. And the result is this. If we believe the voice of the spirit of accusation... We, we have to be careful to not believe the voice of the spirit of accusation more than we believe who we are in Jesus. This is why we talk so much about identity here at Convergence. It's not just because it's a cool thing to talk about. It's not just because everybody's doing it. It's because the reality is that one of your greatest weapons that you possess is that you are a child of God. It's that you're a son and you're a daughter. It's that you're righteous. It's that, see, we don't just spout this stuff off all the time and read it in the Bible because we think it's cool. I mean, it is cool. But we're doing it because we want it to transform your mind and transform your heart so that when you're faced with that accusation spirit that says, look at what you've done, you're able to say, oh, have forgiveness in Christ Jesus this is who I am and when you're able to say that the enemy cannot fight you on that because the reality is is he knows that's who you are he's trying to get you to operate out of it does that make sense all right so I want you to listen to this I just read that that list that was really weighty about what the enemy says now I want you to let this seep in this is what God says The enemy says, you aren't worth it. What does God say? You are mine. I created you in my image and you are worth it. The enemy says, you are too far gone for God to help you. What does God say? You are not too far gone. I am your ever-present help in time of need. I am with you and I am not far off but am near. I love you and I am fighting for you. What does the enemy say? Look at what you just did. I want you to just stare at it so that it consumes you. What does God say? You aren't justified or made righteous because of what you have done, but because of what I have done. Stop looking at your mistakes and look at me. What does the enemy say? You don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve to be in church this morning. What does God say? Your life is precious to me. You are worth it. Your life has meaning. You don't earn acceptance. You are accepted because I say that you are. And because of what Jesus did, you have access to grace and mercy in time of need. The enemy says you can't be righteous. What does God say? You are righteous. It's a big difference. Not because of you, but because of what Jesus has done for you. It's his blood and his body. Repping some Cultivate Faith Co. today. All right. They did not ask me to say that. Seth and Briley, you need to go buy a shirt. They're amazing. All right. I don't know why I did that, but there you go. That's awesome. Your mistakes are bigger than your future, the enemy says. What does God say? Your mistakes don't define you. You have a future and a hope. The enemy tries to say, your failures are too great. What does God say? Your mistakes don't define you, I do. Again, don't let what you have done define you more than what my son Jesus did for you on the cross. What does the enemy say? You aren't lovable due to your issues and past mistakes. What does God say? People don't define love. That's good. People don't define love. Sometimes people try to use biblical love in a twisted way. Love is Jesus. It's the truth of what's found in the word. It's not fluffy Hollywood people love, okay? Does that make sense? People don't define love, I do. I love you with an everlasting, unconditional love that has no end. Your mistakes don't dictate my love. Your failures don't dictate my love. Your past doesn't dictate my love. You are loved simply because you are mine. What does the enemy say? This is who you will be for the rest of your life. we just laugh at that? Right? What does God say? You are my son and my daughter. What you will be is defined by your identity and has nothing to do with others or the enemy or what the enemy attempts to say. Your identity is who I say that you are. You do not have to be stuck. Some of you, you need to say that. I do not have to be stuck. I felt that in the room. I do not have to be stuck. I do not have to feel forgotten. I do not have to be stuck in past or current issues. And listen, I do not have to accept what the enemy says. I believe who you say that I am. What just happened we just took what the enemy said and we just obliterated it with truth like obliterated it like there's no ounce of the enemy's voice left what did we do what did we do we, we didn't it wasn't rocket science are you catching this what did we do what did jesus do when he was tempted in the desert It is written, 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 it is written. You need to read Romans 8, 1 over and over and over and over and over again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. In fact, read all of Romans 8. If you're stuck in bondage, read Romans 8 every day for the next month and come back to me and and tell me what happened. Really. Really. That's a challenge for someone in the room. Read Romans 8 every day for a month if you're stuck. But listen, this is what we have to do. It's easy for us to listen to this first list. You aren't worth it. You're too far gone. Look at what you just did. And we get stuck in it when God is saying a better word. What he says has life on it. The spirit of accusation never desires to bring life. And I just want to encourage us this morning. This was a large part of my point is I really wanted to reveal the scheme of the enemy that comes with with accusation. And it's really easy to be one, feel accused, and and it can be easy for us to then operate in that and accuse others. And I just want us to be really careful. I know this is a bit of a family talk too. Um, If you're a part of this church, Convergence, I want us to be very careful about bringing accusation against others. I want us to be very careful about that and be very careful about not letting the spirit of accusation seep in so that we then begin to level accusation that brings condemnation against the church family or anybody even that's that's around us the enemy's number one goal is if I can get believers to actually condemn other believers I've won because then I don't even have to level accusation they're going to do it for me. And we end up wielding a sword that we're not meant to carry. And we think sometimes that we're actually entitled to shove that thing in. And the reality is that you're not entitled to it. God is the ultimate judge. I didn't have time to get to this, but Isaiah 54 talks about how it is the Lord who vindicates us. What's vindicate? Free from guilt. Free from blame. If you're vindicated, you're free. And Isaiah 54 says it's the Lord's job to vindicate. So let's allow the Lord to bring um, Psalm 89 says that the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. So the point is, let's allow him to vindicate. Let's not get caught in the enemy's schemes and bring down um fire on our own kind. And we do it all the time in the church, unfortunately. Well, that church just isn't doing enough. Well, this pastor is just not talking enough about this. And that church is da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. What are we doing? We're actually bringing accusation against the body of Christ. Which, by the way, will never bring unity. It will always seek to divide The other thing that I really wanted to go after this morning is I feel like the Lord wants to deal with accusation that we have been under the weight of ourselves. And I think there's some of us in the room, maybe some of you watching online, you've been under the weight of the voice of the accuser that has been telling you all of those things that I just said. And you've bought into it. And the buying into it has actually created behavior that actually isn't you. Yeah. It's not really who you are. It's that you've aligned yourself with that voice of the spirit of accusation. Yeah. And you've begun, even in small ways, to agree with it. Yeah. And listen, anytime that we begin to agree with the voice of the accuser, We are then basically saying, ah, I just, I'm going to just pull away. And we begin to isolate ourselves. And I just want us to come out from under the weight of that this morning. And so I want to do this. As I prayed about ministry time, and I asked the Holy Spirit, what's the response? It's like this can feel like a little bit of a heavy message, Lord. What's the response? And I felt the Lord said, He said that I want to free people and I felt that there are those in the room you need to take a step out in faith and acknowledge this has been a battle for me and I want you to I want to say right off the bat this is a safe place there is no condemnation there's no shame so I want to just cut that thing off at the root and say if you choose this morning to make a decision to come up to the front here and to say, I want to come out from under the spirit of accusation. There's not a single person in this room who's going to throw a stone. Instead, we're going to embrace you and we're going to say, Jesus wants to free you this morning. So what I want to do is I just want to create space for this. If you felt this morning like you've been listening to the voice of the spirit of accusation, the accuser, I just want you to come to the front. Because I believe that this morning the Lord is going to cut that thing off. If I could have our staff, any table group pastors in the room come help me pray for these. online, you can step into this too. All right, right now, you can just put your hands out right now in the name of Jesus. We silence the voice of the accuser. We silence him. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we rebuke any voice that is not the Lord's. Any voice that is not in alignment with life and the identity of who we are in Christ. And so, Lord, we just say, Lord, I ask you right now, Lord, that where the voice of accusation has come in, we ask you right now that your spirit that brings life would flood their minds, that minds would be renewed this morning, right now, Lord. And right now, we just put on the mind of Christ, And we say, voice of accusation, you have to go. You have to go. You have to go. And right now we also, we also just say no to shame. Shame for mistakes, for past mistakes. We break shame off. We break off condemnation. And we declare there is now no condemnation for those that are up front, for those that are... There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, you, Jesus. If you're up front, I want you to say, I come out from under the spirit of accusation. spirit of accusation you can trouble me no longer I come into agreement with who I am in Christ I come into agreement with the fact that I am a new creation which means the old is gone and the new is here want to read this list one more time this morning if you're dealing with this phrase you aren't worth it God says you are mine I created you in my image and you are worth it if you're up here and you've heard the phrase you are too far gone for God to help you this is what God says you are never too far gone I am your ever-present help in time of need. I am with you. I am not far off, but I am near. I love you, and I am fighting for you. Some of you, you've heard the voice even this morning. Look at what you did. Look at what you just did. This is what God says. You aren't justified or made righteous because of what you have done, but because of what I have done stop looking at your mistakes some of you right now you need to say that i'm going to stop looking at my mistakes and i'm going to look at jesus all right some the enemy says you don't deserve to be here what does god say your life is precious to me you are worth it your life has meaning you are accepted because i say that you are and because of what jesus did you have access to grace and mercy The enemy says you aren't, you can't be righteous. What does God say? You are righteous, not because of you, but because of me, come on. You are righteous. Some of you, you need to read 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The enemy says your mistakes are bigger than your future. What does God say? Your mistakes don't define you this morning. If you're up here, I want to make a declaration to you. Your mistakes don't define you. Your mistakes don't define you. You have a future and a hope like it says in Jeremiah. The enemy tries to say your failures are too great. What does God say? Don't let what you have done define you more than what Jesus has done. The enemy says you aren't lovable due to your issues and past mistakes. Listen to this. People don't define love. I do. Some of you, you're looking for acceptance from people, and the Lord wants you to look at him. He wants you to look at him. I love you. This is, this is God. I love you with an everlasting, unconditional love that has no end. Your mistakes don't dictate my love. Your failures don't dictate my love. Your past doesn't dictate my love. You are loved because you are mine. You are loved this morning because you are God's. You are His. You are not the enemies. You are His. Even if, an earth, even if somebody on earth has tried to get you to see things outside of that, you need to say, I am His. All right, instead of the lie, this is who you will be for the rest of your life. This is what God says. You are my son and my daughter. What you will be is defined by your identity and it has nothing to do with others or what the enemy attempts to say. Your identity is who I say that you are. You do not have to be stuck. Some of you need to say that right now. I do not have to be stuck. I am not going to leave this room stuck. I'm coming out from under that thing. You do not have to feel forgotten. You do not have to be stuck in past or current issues. You do not have to accept what the enemy says. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we just say we refuse to accept what the enemy says. We refuse to accept that voice that brings death. We believe who you say that we are this morning. Right now, Lord, I ask you that weights would be lifted. Weights that we have put ourselves under because the enemy has tried to put weight on us. We take that weight off some of you you've been wearing burdens that are not meant that you're not meant to carry you're not meant to shoulder that burden so just cast it off and realize that his yoke is easy and his burden is light Healing in your wholeness this morning. Ooh. Jesus. Jesus. We rebuke that voice that says, I'm not good enough. Yes, you are. I'm not good enough. I feel like there are people that have spoken that over some people in the room. They've spoken over you that you're not good enough. And right now, we just say no to that thing. No to that thing. We are not going to let the approval of man cast the the shadow over what God says. We're not gonna let the approval of man get in the way of what God says. We're not after the approval of man. We're after the fact that God says we are his. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. of accusation has no place. I really felt this really strong that there's some in the room, you actually need to make a declaration that you love who God made you really felt that there was an accusation getting you to actually believe that the way God made you, that he made a mistake. It's like, oh, God just must not know what he was doing when he made me. And it sounds silly now, but the reality is that there's a weight that the enemy tries to bring there. and He tries to get you to discount who God made you. And right now, we just say no to that voice. And some, you need to make a declaration. I love who God made me. Woo. I love who God made me. I love that He made me in His perfect image, in the image of God, like it says in Genesis 1:26 and 27. Thank you, Lord. God did not make a mistake when he made me. Yeah. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Write down what the Lord says about you and read over it every day and renew your mind so that when the enemy does come against accusation, you know exactly what to say.
1: No, I do have
0: the mind of Christ. No, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know scripture and you can speak scripture over yourself so that the enemy does not win. Put it on your mirror. Put it somewhere that you can read it every day. If you're up here and you're getting ministered to, please stay and hang out. If you want to go, you're free to go now. But I just—if you're up here, I want you to stay up here and receive prayer and ministry because the Lord is freeing people this morning. He's—he's re- he's breaking chains, strongholds that we've been underneath.